0: now the chief shepherd has moved the under shepherd that's his right he is sovereign but he loves this church because it's part of his body and his purposes are good and they are righteous we need to understand that and remember that and so you're going to be absolutely fine he knows the future and that you're in his future he's determined that future and uh, God is going to continue to bless and he's going to continue to use you. I know this from personal experience. My first pastorate and that church where my child, my child then, I had one, grew up in those early days, that church always is special in the heart of a pastor. And it's going to be for the one who left as he is in your heart. Now, today, I want us to look at a word of challenge from, from the scripture. Typically, we think of January 1 as new year and new beginning. But I learned over the years as a pastor that, that really the new beginning is right now in this time of year. Your summer vacations are over, and um, school is in, one way or the other. And. Um, where we were, and I, and I found out today it's the same thing with you. There was promotion, and uh, new terms of service began, and there was a hint of fall in the air, and so that was always for me as a pastor, and for the church, a very appropriate time for reassessment, a time for challenge, and a time for committing ourselves anew to the Lord, hearing His word and to our heart and responding to it and so today I want us to look at a challenge that uh, comes from the scripture and it, it comes from the latter chapters of Joshua where you hear a fearless and respected leader challenge the congregation of Israel at Shechem. If you know anything about the book of Joshua the land has been entered the tribe allotments have been made and If you're about halfway through the book, in chapter 14, it says that they're now resting from the wars that they had fought as tribes. It's the latter years of Joshua's life, and um, he stands before the people, and he has that final challenge. And we read the verses a few moments ago, but I want to read the uh, 14th, the 15th, 14th and the 15th verse of that chapter. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. Worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But it's for me and my house we will serve the Lord can you imagine what the people thought that day when they heard that respected leader for so many years stand before them and make that challenge this passage teaches us the need of committing ourselves to the Lord clearly committing ourselves to the Lord and also exerting as much influence as we can on the people that we love and the people over whom we have responsibility to do the very same thing. Joshua stated his commitment and then he in in doing that hoped that they would be influenced to do the very same thing. I think you understand the importance of these two things when you understand what happened in one generation after these remarks were made, let me give you a timeline. In Joshua 14, it says that <clears throat> Joshua was going to take the hill country and take the Anakites. He was 85 years of age. When most of us are going undergoing hip replacement and knee replacement, Joshua was taking the Anakites in the high country. He was 85. If you go to the end of the book, in chapter 24, the scripture says that Joshua died at 110. So that's a period of 25 years. And I want to read you out of the first few verses of uh, Judges what happened at that point. Joshua died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of, the, of his inheritance at Hares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Listen to this. And after that, whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That is absolutely stunning. That is absolutely stunning to me. That's like in a family. No child no grandchild serving the Lord when you faithfully did it. It is amazing to me what can happen to a people, to a nation, to any group of people in one generation. About two years ago, I was involved in a a golf tournament. And uh, when you get there, they pair you up with the groups of people you know. And so I got with this young guy that I didn't know and As we got to the first tee and waiting and talking, we began to uh, realize that there was a common background connection. I had worked with his parents on a mission trip. They were missionaries appointed to a particular country, and we, we had a great time on that mission trip working with his parents. And I said, what church are you involved in? He said, well, we really aren't involved in any church right now. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm trying to concentrate on my golf, Here is a guy who had two parents dedicated to the Lord and committed to the Lord. And now he's not even in church. He's not even a part of the faith. And I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. I can't tell you as pastor how many people I've heard say, you know, when when we were young, we did so and so. Speaking of the church. My mother used to read us Bible stories at night, and I remember so-and-so, and now they have absolutely nothing to do with the Lord and nothing to do with this church. There grew up a generation of people who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Think what can happen to a nation in 25 years or a generation. You realize in 1990 the 1990s we discovered that there was a depletion of the ozone layer and what has happened since then it was back then when Pioneer first came out with GPS that was the first one. You think where we are today with debt and morality Back then we were fighting Hussein. Now we're fighting organized terrorism. What can happen in 25 years or a generation? Where were you 25 years ago? I was coming to Carmel. I was beginning my ministry at a local church with two young kids in the prime of my ministry. Now I'm retired. That's behind me. What happens in 25? years. What happens to you in 25 years? Were you in school? Were you getting married? Were you having your first child? Think about technology. Oh my goodness. We weren't even in our church on a computer program at that point. I was working on a little word processor working on my sermons. There was no cell phones. There were no iPads, pods or anything else. When you realize what can happen in one generation, you make your commitment clear to the Lord, and you do everything in your power to influence those that you love to go with him and to serve him and to love him with all of their heart, soul, and mind. That's the right choice. That's the best choice. And that is the best road that you want them to travel. And so in doing that, Joshua made it very clear. We go back and break down that verse. He said, for me, for me, he made his personal commitment. All influence that we exert, folks, begins with for me. It begins with our commitment to the Lord. You can never lead anyone where you are not going yourselves. You can never ask them to be what you are not being yourself. We want them to follow the course that we're following, and so our life needs to set the pace, and our life needs to be consistent. And here was a man that gave the, 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 the challenge at Shechem, who had been their spiritual leader for years, and he was consistent. He was consistent as the spy. He was the consistent one as he served with Moses. He was the consistent leader who was full of the spirit of wisdom. His challenge would have meant absolutely nothing if he had not been consistent in his life. Hypocrisy ends influence. I can tell you that. It will do it in every home. It will do it in every business. It will do it wherever there is someone who is seeking to lead. Hypocrisy will end the influence. This man was consistent. And he stood before them and he recounted what God had done for Israel. He rehearsed for them the history of what had been taking place. You see, the people listening to him had never eaten manna. And trusted the Lord for that day's provision. They had never crossed Jordan. Never saw the walls of Jericho fall. So they had to be told. They had to be reminded of that. One of the common things in the Old Testament is the question, what mean these stones? The Ebenezer's that were raised, that were set up, tell them. Tell them what God has done. This is what we do when we make our commitment. This is what we do when we seek to influence the people that we love. Tell them what God has done in our lives. Tell him the, the, the promises that he's kept for us. Tell them the peace that he's given when we were troubled. Tell them about the needs that have been met. Tell them what these stones mean. This is why I follow him. This is what Joshua was telling the people that day as he sought to influence them. For me, that's where it begins. My commitment. Nothing happens apart from that. My commitment. Your commitment. And then he said, my house. That's a good old Hebrew way of saying everybody that I have something to do with, that I have, can exert influence over under my purview that I love, that I have responsibility for, clan, tribe, whatever. My house. As for me and my house, I make my commitment, and I am seeking to influence my house to do the very same thing. And for some of us that's children and that's grandchildren for me for a while it was children and now it's mainly grandchildren we understand that faith is not automatic every individual has to have their individual meet with god the reality of a personal god when you hear the shema in the old testament in deuteronomy 6 when they reminded the people the parents when they had the purview of the children and the responsibility of the children impress the word of god on them hero israel this is what you do you take every opportunity when you rise when you walk when you go by the gate when you lie down at night every opportunity you have do it and do it consistently and do it repeatedly because you have made your commitment to the Lord and you're seeking to bring influence to those lives. <laughs> Do it while you have the the window <coughs> of opportunity. Because, you know, there's a time when children think their parents are the greatest things that ever lived, ever walked on the face of the earth. And then a little later, you become a little less so. <laughs> a little less so. I remember what Mark Twain said. He said when... When I was 14, my dad was so dumb I was embarrassed by him. And when I became 21, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) And that's the way it is. You have a window of time when you're the greatest thing in all the world before you ever become great again. Use that influence on them because one day the culture and their friends' voices will become very, very loud. In their lives. Proverbs 20 speaks about influence. In verse 29 it says, The glory of young men is their strength, (coughs) gray hair the splendor of the old. Do you see the parallelism? The glory of young men the splendor of the old. Glory, glory, splendor, splendor. What's the glory and the splendor of the young man? Boy, he's got strength and energy. Move that over here, son. And what's the glory and the splendor of the old? It is wisdom. You see, there is a mutual dependency when you come to the generations. There's the young with their energy, there's the old with their wisdom, and the ones that have the gray hair put the tracks down for the young ones to run on in their immaturity. Exert the influence while you can. But it goes beyond family and grandchildren and children. It goes to friends, it goes to our networking, it goes to workmates, it doesn't matter... Whoever they are, your house. Who's in your house? You stand and you make your commitment to the Lord and say, I want everyone to know where I stand and whom I, who I love and whom I'm serving. And now I'm going to do everything I can to influence them to do the same because it is the best road. It is the best life. And with your friends and with your networking or whatever, do you understand Paul said that you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And Christ is making his appeal through you to them. Come, be reconciled to me. That's our ministry. And so the influence is something that needs to be exerted all the time whenever we can after we've made our commitment clearly to the Lord. The final piece of this passage is we make our commitment and we do everything we can to influence our house because we cannot determine what they're going to do. You're not going to determine somebody's decision. I guarantee you that. You can influence all you want to, but you're not going to make them decide one way or the other. Joshua spoke when he was in the latter years of his his life for me and for my house. One generation, they knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. He made his challenge and he exerted influence, but you cannot determine what somebody's going to do. I remember my daddy so many times saying to me, Son, this is when I became a teenager. I don't know what you do with yours, but this is what he did with me. Son, as long as you're in this house and under this roof and your feet are under this table. You've heard that speech. This is what you will do and this is what you won't do. (laughs) And I didn't do it. What he said don't do, I didn't do. And what he said do, I did. But what happens when you get out from under the roof? And what happens when you get your feet out from under that table? Will the influence continue? Oh, folks, do you understand the power of decision-making? The Garden of Eden. (laughs) You're talking about an influence for good. And they made the wrong choice. Then you come upon a person like Rahab. And she bucked the tide. And she heard the testimony of the God of the people that were coming into the land. And she went to the other side. Sometimes I wonder how it would have been to have been one of those guys in the boat. And the Lord comes by and looks at you and says, follow me. And I'll make you fishes of men. What would we have done in that moment of decision? And you've got uh, this guy, the Lord said, follow me. He said, um, I've got to go bury my dad. And basically, he did not have the kingdom very high up on his priority list. What a decision. What would have been the difference in his life if he had said, yes, I'm going to follow you? The power of decision-making. You've seen it in your own families, probably. <laughs> you were raised with siblings or others in the house. You heard the same stuff. You went to the same church. You got the same influence. And oh my goodness, they choose this way and you chose that way. And you scratch your head and go, what in the world happened? A decision was made. A choice was opted That's the powerful thing. You can influence as much as you want to, and boy, we better. Because you will never determine what they're going to choose to do. I've had parents say to me, but Pastor chapter 22 of Proverbs says, You train up a child in the way in which he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart. Boy, that is a testimony to the power of teaching. But Proverbs is a book of observation. That is not a firm promise. And I have seen parents pour their lives into their children, and they did everything that observably looked good and right. And the child made another choice. That's why in the book of Proverbs, over and over again, you hear the, the writer say the warning Oh, my son, listen! My son, listen! My son, listen! You influence because you want them to see that no other way will work. And any other way is foolishness. That's what Joshua did. But you can't determine what they're going to do. What happened to Israel? Why do you read a verse like we read in Gen- uh, Judges chapter 2? I think what happened to Israel is that Joshua was ceased to make commitments. And people quit telling what God had done for his covenant people. And people cease to influence the next generation. And you know, you can read that story in the Old Testament. You understand what Joshua did and what he was seeking to do with his influence. But now the challenge comes to us comes to me it comes to you we're the community of grace we're the covenant people we're the ones now that are to hear the challenge it's our turn it's my turn it's your turn to make the commitment your turn to exert the influence and do all that you can to get them to go in the way that God would want them to go And in the reading that we had from the screen, you heard Joshua say something else. I don't want you to go home and consider this. I don't want you to give it some thought. He said, choose this day. Right now. And that's the challenge before us this morning as I close I I, want to close with a question leave you with a question it's this what do you think is the strength of your influence right now what's the strength of your influence over your family what's the strength of influence in this church What's the strength of your influence over those that you work with or those that you do life with? For me, this is what I'm going to do. And for my house, this is what I seek to do. What's the power of your influence? It's fall of the year. We do this every year if we're alive. We come to church and we begin a new church year. But this year, it's a good time for all of us, especially where you are in your circumstances, to say, you know, this is going to be a time for me to make a recommitment to the Lord that I love and the Lord that loves me. This is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to know that I'm going to do everything I can to influence you to do the very same thing. And do it with all of your might because that's all we can do. That's all we can do. Would you pray with me? Father, the word of God is very clear. The statement of of Joshua was so, so on target. Here is a man that lived his life with consistency. He loved you. He was obedient to you. He served you faithfully. And he had some clout when he stood and spoke to the people. He made it very clear where he would put his loyalties and the direction that he would choose. And he made it his intent to be as influential as possible. I pray today that we will take a cue from him. I pray that we will first make the commitment that only we can make. It begins with us. We're the only ones that know who we really are deep down. Today, I choose you. I choose to follow you. I choose to be faithful to you. I choose to be consistent in my life following the Lord. And I choose to be as influential as I can be over those that I love. And those that I can have some impact on, Lord, help me to do that. I make that commitment today, knowing the dangers of what can happen in a generation, knowing that people are going to make choices that are so powerful. I do this because I want my life to be different and I want their lives to be different as well. And Father, may your people hold me responsible in that decision in that, that I have made, in that challenge that I've received. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.